0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we're committed to helping people and Nordics tech organisations realise their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to make doing business easier. I'm Georgia Bentham from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I'm your host. So today I'm joined by Ola Brem, who's the partner and head of digital and app innovation at Asiga. I've got... Joanna Jova, who's the Scrum Master at the Stellar Collective. I have Daniel Karlstrom-Aravina, who's a Tech Lead at SEB. And I have Jasper Martinson, who's the IT Manager at Rack Systems, to discuss building adaptable teams in the digital age. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. I'd like to know who you are, what you do and what your biggest passion is currently. Ola, do you want to kick us off?
1: Sure. Thank you. Uh, all right. Hello, everyone. My name is Ola Brian. Uh, I currently work as a partner and a business manager at a consultancy company called Axego. We're about two hundred people and uh, located in Stockholm, but we do business all around the Nordic countries. Uh, my history and background is basically in development and tech. I studied. Uh, uh system development and web development back in the late 90s and I've been active in that since um my biggest passion okay this becomes a little bit personal I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of gaming so I started a a, a a new gaming session basically uh with one of my favorite game studios who who uh Released a huge game back in September now. So nights and weekends are spent in my man cave. <laughs> That's it, I think.
0: Amazing. Um, and
2: Johanna, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Johanna Juvier. Uh I'm almost 31 years old now, and I'm from just outside Stockholm. And a town called McFarn. Um, I've been in this industry now for about five, six years and I have an education within front end development. Um, although ever since I've been mainly focusing on, um, leadership positions, uh, because basically it suited me more. Um, so yeah, ever since I've been basically wearing different leadership hats, uh, basically anything that you can think of. I'm currently a scrum master. Um, And uh, I work at a company called The Stellar Collective. On the personal side, I'm I'm living in uh, Gübingen, which is the green line south of Stockholm, very important, uh, where I live with my husband and our two uh, fur babies, two cats. Um, Like Ola, I play a lot of video games, uh, (laughs) although I have very little time for it now, but... Uh, I also recently, or during COVID basically, picked up uh, on board games, love that now, Um, and just recently tried my hand on uh, Dungeons & Dragons roleplay. Other than that, I guess my passion right now is that I'm an ice hockey coach uh, for the women's team in Hammarby Sockey, who plays in the second highest league uh, called NDHL. Um, And yeah, that's it.
0: Brilliant. And Daniel, go ahead and tell us about yourself.
3: Yes, hello. Uh, My name is Daniel Karlström Aravena. Uh, I'm 42 years old and I work as a tech lead uh, at SCB, one of the bigger banks in Sweden. Um, Previously, uh, I've been working in fintech uh, at the smaller companies uh, for the last uh, 10 to 15 years. Um, I've also been a few years in the private healthcare also the it part of it with a um sort of integrating journal systems and so on um here at sb i haven't been here for so long uh started uh, one year ago almost uh and uh, it's a lot of fun it's a very big company but it's very modern so that's really good um a passion um I mean, uh, I have kids and a wife. Uh, I live here in Solna, uh, where I work as well, at, uh in the Stockholm. And uh, I would say my family is my passion. A, a lot of times for work wise, I would say um, it would be, has to be process orchestration. I would say in general, uh, it's uh, something that we do a lot here now and it's uh, a lot of fun. It's interesting. Um, also digging deep into uh, payment ISO standards. That might be a bit nerdy, but it's a lot of fun. So yeah.
0: Perfect. And last but not least, Jasper, do you want to tell us about yourself?
4: Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Jasper Martinson. Uh, I currently work as an IT manager at the company called Rock Systems. Um, I've been in the company since 2016 on uh, various positions, but in a sort of IT leader role since about three years back. Uh, I am sort of in, in charge of making our IT and IT infrastructure work uh, here in, in Sweden. Um, sort of passions. Um, I I'm a musician. Uh, I I play in a band um, as as much as I can. Not the, maybe as much as I wish to. Um, I have two kids and a wife. Uh, I live also outside of Stockholm, but uh, on, on the other side of Stockholm than, than Johanna. So I'm, I'm, uh, I live in Bålsta, uh, which is uh, about 30 minutes uh, outside of Stockholm. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's about it, uh, I would say. Hi everyone,
2: this is Chris Bennett here, the knowledge Managing Director here at Evolution. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: Brilliant. So now that we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic in focus. Um, you all have a question or statement on building adaptable teams in the digital age. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question. Um and the, and the reasons behind it. So each of you will have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. Let's start with Ola. Um, so your question, I've got, how do you build adaptable teams within a consultancy context in order to break personal dependencies and create ability to share workload? Tell me where that question comes from.
1: Yeah. Um, let's... Um... Let's let's turn it around. I mean, what is the problem with personal dependencies? Why why would that be a problem? And and why would you need to to share workload? I mean, basically, you can take a d- couple of different perspectives on this. Uh, there's the customer perspective. There's the uh, supplier perspective, um, which I represent uh, here. Uh, there's the um, Consultant, the individual consultant perspective, of course. So at least those three. And we can start from, I guess, from the individual consultant because I think as, as most people who work as consultants, they feel that they gather customer... uh relations and uh, solution knowledge, and they put those in their backpack and they're, they somehow uh, uh, are never able to to decouple themselves from the responsibility of actually continuing supporting their customers. Uh, even if there is not a formal support agreement or, or anything like that, uh Some customers will still keep on calling, you know, we have a problem with this, can you help us? And just because you're a nice person, of course, you will help them. Uh, The problem here is that over the years, uh, the weight of all that will become um, uh, difficult to manage. And it it will start to impact the amount of focus that you can put on new customers and and new solutions. Um, So that becomes an unsustainable um, situation for, for many consultants. So that's a problem. It sometimes leads to consultants actually feeling that the only way to decouple themselves from that is to actually quit uh, the firm that they're working for and start a new job so they get like a, a clean slate and uh, that's that's um i would say that's a loose 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 uh outcome the consultant loses because maybe they don't really want to switch jobs uh, they just do it because it's unmanageable uh the customer loses because they uh, they lose continuity, they lose a lot of um, uh, competence and knowledge. Um, and of course, the, the supplier loses because every able consultant that move, decides to move on is, is someone that they need to replace somehow. Uh, and then you start from zero. So it's it's costly, it's uh, con- continuously undermining the stability of the business basically. So nobody wants this outcome. Uh, from the customer perspective, uh, the question of breaking personal dependencies is, is crucial because if it's um, a, a business-critical solution and the only person who can fix whatever problem it is that has come up is on Christmas holiday in the Maldives. You know, they can't help you right now. So, so your, your uh, e-commerce uh, site is down for two weeks or whatever it is, you know, uh, so there needs to be some kind of competence sharing or sharing of the ability to actually help out. And it's not enough to, to, you know, have a, uh, a superficial help desk person with superficial knowledge of how to add a user or or something because if if something breaks then it breaks uh for real and 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 the developer needs to go in and fix it um so that's a huge problem for the customer uh and of course for uh the supplier i mean we, we want to at least we at AXEGO, we want to uh give our employees, our, our consultants the the opportunity to to evolve and, and to stay with us for basically for their for for the rest of their uh work life. That should at least be possible. And and then you must be able to decouple yourselves from previous responsibilities and, and be able to to share them with other uh, other colleagues who can can uh, take on the responsibility. Uh, so the question is then, how do you do this? Uh, I can say from experience of my own that it's possible, but it doesn't happen uh, by itself. It doesn't happen automatically. It takes some uh, it takes some insight into uh, what um, properties actually need to be set in place uh, when it comes to what kind of cooperation or collaboration or project it is that you have between you and your customer. So first of all, the customer needs to have a long-term perspective of what it is they're doing. So it's very difficult to to solve this situation if the customer has... uh a short term and kind of one time only perspective on on the problem so let's say they're they're going to build something let's say a a website that solves some kind of use case some kind of problem and it's just one project we'll do it now we take the whole scope in one go and then then we're done and then it's uh, thank you and goodbye to the supplier okay good what then what happens after that so it's much better if the customer has a, a to- total life cycle cost perspective on on the budget and can actually plan over the over the expected life cycle of the solution and plan the the uh uh development work uh accordingly across those years let's say it's 5 to 7 maybe even 10 years uh so and just to just to um, put that in perspective, some of my absolutely best and favorite customers have been my customers for more than 10 years. So it's possible to do this, uh, but it takes uh, it takes the long-term perspective and trust. Um, so if you have that long-term perspective, then you realize that, It's not as much as a project as it is uh, a consistent uh, development capability within the customer organization. And that needs to be staffed. Um, I mean, you can staff it with consultants only. Uh, It's not optimal, I would say. Uh, The best thing would be if you staff it with a combination of employed developers, uh, maybe some of the leading roles, let's say product owner or something, is employed. Uh, we could supply the architect, the dev leads, front-end, back-end, uh, full-stack developers, integration developers, and so on. And a key factor when you have that kind of team is that the supplier has the opportunity to, within you know certain timeframes, rotate. Not everyone at once, of course, but uh, one or two consultants or, or certain percentage of the team rotate in some juniors to keep costs down, rotate out some of the seniors who have been there for a long time. They want to do something else for a while. And that needs to be okay. The customer needs to accept the collective benefit of letting those people move on to the next assignment but they can they can be assured that those senior consultants will be able to step back in when they need to scale up for some reason let's say they have some sensitive bank uh, integrations that need to happen within a very very short time frame and they they need to scale up the team suddenly then they don't want any newcomers in the team. They want people who have been there before, who know the customer, know the code, and so on. And if you manage your team like this with, with all your customers, basically, you can, you can pretty much be quite flexible and rotate people back in and, and, and out of several customers. And we have, well, I would say at least five customers that, that we continuously do this with. It works very well. Uh, from, from a, a a supplier and and a, an employer perspective, it gives us the opportunity to, during our weekly planning, when we talk about what's happening next week, we can see that, okay, person so-and-so is sick. Let's say they have COVID, not able to work. Who can step in and, and, and share that workload? Oh, this person can do that. Uh, have worked with the same part of the code before, Uh not an active member of the team right now, but the 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 uh, the start uh, grasping for words here since English is not my native language. But uh, the 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 time frame to start up is quite short because they already know and have the the competence. Uh, so we, as an employer, need to need to facilitate that workload sharing dialogue every week, and we do that uh, in Axigo. um every Friday. We talk about what next week looks like in every team and uh, try to 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 share. Uh, people who have too much can can offload, and people who have too little can can take up some of the slack. Um. But it also it also requires of us to to actually plan our, our sales process to, to create this kind of this kind of business. We need to make sure that the customers understand and accept that this is this is a better way to to actually develop a product over the over the total lifespan of the product. It also increases the lifespan of the product greatly. So it's much, much better for everyone. Um. So yeah, I have a couple of other points, but but uh, I think my monologue has gone on now for a while. So and I see we have some questions or had some questions. So let's bring on the discussion.
4: Thank you,
0: Joanna. What what are you? Um, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Yeah, I think we or you briefly touched on it. I just wanted to to bring in that I think, yeah, which I, which I think is something that. Uh, for example, both Jesper and Daniel can probably probably knows way more about than me, but I think that it's it's really important on a on a team level to uh, embrace, depending on who you ask, uh, the boring work, uh, which boils down, you know, to to code reviews and experimenting uh, with the pair programming or mob programming, because um, I think that it's really important, especially if you bring in a consultant who's there to deliver maybe something specific, um, that they're, even though they have that mission, they don't work in a silo, uh, and, and becomes isolated from the rest. And, uh, so when the time assures with that, the people, that person will uh, will leave the, the project or whatever, um, panic will just completely spread because no one has really been involved in their work. Um, And uh, yeah, so investing, investing basically in in knowledge sharing in in the beginning can definitely be to some extent expensive, but very well pay off, you know, down the line.
1: I completely agree. Uh, Daniel, you have a question?
3: Yeah, I sort of want to pitch in there as well. Uh, I think it's uh... I mean, myself, I worked as a consultant uh, for at least ten years earlier in finance, and uh, had basically like a handful of clients. Um, and I see what you're saying. I mean, the importance of uh, having super senior developers or people in general, like consultants, sort of to stay to get some really good knowledge, almost as as if you are employed it's really important but also to sort of mix in new new blood (laughs) in there as well so so you can uh, share and learn because uh, I think uh, consultants can can be a really powerful tool and um, also to bring in new knowledge as well to a company I mean not always uh, all companies have a, a healthy sort of uh strategy for keeping their employees up to date and, and so on and, and i have to say it here at sb we, we do but we also have consultants uh of course uh we're a big bank and uh, a lot of them are very uh, like senior but they've also been on the project some of the projects for a very long time uh, could be considered to be an employee and oftentimes you sort of mistake them for being an, an employee when they're actually from a consultant firm so uh, I mean, it, it's important to have the mix. I think.
4: Yeah, and um, I, I can also pitch in because I'm, I'm I'm coming from maybe a bit of an other, other perspective. I yeah. I work mainly in house. I have no real experience of, of consultancy in that sense. But but we are experienced, not not the same issue, but but the uh, sort of. Importance of knowledge sharing, even in-house uh, as a manager for a, a, a mostly IT operations team, uh, you know, handling support and those kind of things. Um, I think it's also really important to build uh, trust and transparency uh, within the team to, to share the things, uh, you know, also things that's going wrong uh, so that you are not sitting there trying to solve you the, the issue you may create yourself, uh, you know you try to sort of uh, sweep it under the rug so that no one sees it to actually embrace the mistakes and, and uh, you know, share and, and talk about them in order to to build that transparency and trust to be able to help when someone gets sick or is away on, on vacation. Uh, because, you know, it might be that someone starts a support case one day and then becomes sick and then someone else needs to pick it up uh, the day after. Um so, so transparency and sharing is, is really important there.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and the thing is that it takes practice to do that because what I've realized is that some people at least, and, and in, in, a, in a group of people, if, if just a small portion of the people in that group are reluctant to you know, ask for help, or expose that they somehow don't have a 100% grip on their situation then that effect is quite contagious it it affects the entire group and the willingness to both share work but also ask for work so it takes practice to make sure that everyone feels comfortable and so on to do that and that's of course on the the responsibility for that is is on the 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 team management side of the employer, of course. But but I've seen it so many times that it, it doesn't happen because the, the team manager doesn't have that mindset or doesn't realize why it's important and so on. But if you practice it, then it becomes a, a superpower, basically, of the team, uh, how they can work as basically one organism to to uh, uh, achieve uh what would otherwise be you know, almost unachievable with, let's say, multiple customers having uh, peak workloads at, at the same time and so on? How could you manage that? Well, it's possible when you work as a team.
0: Just to follow up on that as well, obviously, um, I know, jo- Joanna, you um, mentioned about power. Um, programming. Um, what other methods does everyone think are good ways to kind of share the knowledge um, in this sense?
1: I can I start if that's okay. Yeah, I think uh, when we at least uh, with my customers then I mean when we rotate new new developers in with a customer then we make sure that they have a designated buddy in, in that team, a mentor or, or buddy or what, what you want to call it. And basically what they do is pair programming. They sit together and go through whatever use case it is that they're going to build a solution for, and they, they start to, to build it together. So and and after you know X amount of of, of, of those, then the new developer becomes uh, self reliant usually it takes you know a couple of weeks maybe maybe a month depending on the on the overall complexity of the code
4: base yeah.
1: so I mean some some solutions are huge and and it takes years to just go through everything but but uh, uh, yeah so so sitting together and programming together is uh, key I think it's really really good practice
3: <clears throat> yeah I agree yeah um... I, I just want to add one thing as well. And, uh, it's something that, uh, I mean, we have a lot of like, uh, team development, uh, and, uh, uh, using, uh, like professional sort of, uh, t- team, uh, improvement, uh, workshops and so on. And uh, one thing that we discussed a lot is, uh, something called personal safety. And I think that it's coming from Google mainly, um, where it's something that they have, uh, identified as one of the most important uh, key factors to success for a team is to have what they call personal safety in the team. Um, basically, I mean, the the short version would be that you should feel safe in the team, uh, obviously, but also like to, to say what you want and express new ideas without feeling uh, questioned or stupid or something like that. And uh, I think that that's one way uh, we sort of uh, do that is by having what we call the call whiteboard sessions in the team uh twice a week which is uh two to three hour sessions where we sort of just collaborate and share what we have done during the week or what we're working with and uh i think that's as you mentioned it's really good to have that sort of mentality to always like try and keep your teammates up to date with what's going on and especially if you have someone new in the team it's so important so
0: Perfect. Um, Amazing ideas on that, guys. Um, We'll go to our second question now. Um, So, Joanna, um, I've got your question here, which is what role does continuous learning and upskilling play in creating and maintaining adaptable teams in the digital age? And how can organisations encourage this culture of learning among their employees? Tell me where that question comes from.
2: Um, so this question comes from, uh, I think, mainly my, my last consultancy gig, which was at Dina Dean of, Dean of Um <clears throat> from, from the leadership or management perspective there, the, the culture of learning was extremely important. Uh, and and uh, they also realized that like, upskilling and continuous learning was uh, something that you need to invest in for the future. Um, and I think that in this this day and age, um, the technology that, that is advancing so fast, so continuous learning is is uh, extremely important. Um, and that mindset, I think, will you know, it will come faster for some companies and uh, than others. Uh, but but um, it's something that we all need to embrace, basically. But um, it's also, I think, that upskilling. We can't forget that it it might be the easiest and maybe also cheapest uh way of uh retaining retaining talent as well as gaining knowledge um and and uh but there there is also upskilling can also be uh, a sore point for some people because you always need to look out for where people are on their their personal journey um and you can't really and you should not uh like force innovation and and the uh, and upskilling um, because also like in a lot of ways uh, and especially for me which was a learning journey uh, as a scrum master that that for developers especially I guess um, knowledge uh, let's say like, like upskilling is basically something that they do every day um, so enforcing sort of innovation and uh, putting pressure on that you need to try new things you need to learn new things it's something that it's, uh, they have, like, the privilege to have in their daily work. Um, so you need to also, like, em- embrace and enable all of those perspectives that maybe from from a higher-up level um, try to break the everyday cycle and, and um, put on new perspectives and maybe have, let's say, like a stupid hackathon where you do something really, really new and stupid uh, just to break the, the – the wheel <laughs> that you're in, the hamster wheel that you're in every day. Um, but yeah, I think I, 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 I've seen how different organizations try to encourage this culture in different ways, um, and I would love to hear uh, what you guys have seen in the industry as well. Daniel, if you want to start.
3: All right. Yeah, I can start. Mm, so uh, what we do at SCD, um, at least in my team, is that, I mean, as a lot of you probably work like in an agile way or, or this uh, lean way of working with the program increments, so you have the sprints and, and all this. Uh, I mean, as a scrum master, of course, you, you know all this and uh, we, we do as well. Uh, <clears throat> and then we also have this like uh, innovation and planning. You have this like IP sprint where you're supposed to really do something innovative or or it's some almost like a, a little hackathon in itself, and uh, I noticed when I started here that many teams didn't really use that for what it was supposed to be. So they just sort of tried to uh, catch up with what they, uh, you know, had lagging behind. And I mean, full respect for that, and I understand that. Of course, it's more important to fix some bug maybe than to be, try and be innovative. And uh, but we have really tried in my team at least to really like mark this time for really innovative things that we're you know trying out some new test framework like uh you know really doing this and i I think it's worked well for us so i think that if you find something you should really try and stick to it when it comes to learning uh even though you sort of learn every day but after some time you sort of get comfortable so yeah (laughs) yeah
2: ola
1: I think um, I think this is a very important question uh, because many companies I mean they have a, like a, a a training budget yearly cha- training budget and it, it will buy you let, let's say a 3-day course out on the town but it doesn't give you very much it's usually like a level and uh, uh you you can basically by watching some some uh, podcasts or or uh, webcast or something, uh, gain that knowledge by yourself in, in a in a shorter time frame. So buying courses is is not always the answer. Um, and for a consultant, at least that is, you know, f- fully booked. Then then you know that you have you have. Uh, uh, Things to do with your customer uh forty hours a week uh every week every month and so on for for x amount of time so that doesn't leave you a lot of time at least not within the work time uh work um uh, workable uh work oh sorry losing words here, but you know what i mean um work time so you need to you need to basically Uh, develop new skills basically outside of work time then so it's weekends it's nights and so on and the thing is that some people are you know uh naturally curious they will think about things as they fall asleep they will think about ideas and and kind of uh passionately uh strive for understanding new things so and, and and it comes in it it doesn't it doesn't happen continuously over time is my experience but it happens once in a while when there's a a huge turning of technology in the market so let's say du- during 2022 20, 2023 what was that turning well uh generative ai probably everybody wants to work with generative ai in some in some way okay so how many colleagues, developers out there are putting in time, hours outside of work to kind of test around and do things? And I think, I think it's very, very important to, to kind of put the finger on that, that. That's also important upskilling time. Not every competence, upskilling needs to happen within the the the, the work time frame uh, so it, it needs to come from from within basically that's that's what I'm saying. Uh, but then also you know between projects you get you get some some unbooked time use it wisely that's my that's my my best advice uh, and and from a team perspective you know when you manage, uh, gaps in the team uh, where people have a couple of hours here and there that are not booked for for a customer. Use them wisely to to research a subject and then report back to the team with your findings so that the pe- the team can uh, can gain some new knowledge uh, even if they haven't themselves put in the hours. So, yeah, that's my input.
2: What do you say, Jesper? You're on mute.
4: Sorry. Uh, no, I, I can only agree there with, with Ola that, uh, you know, courses and, and, you know, those kind of things only get you so far. Uh, I agree there with budgeting and, you know, you usually don't get that much uh, for, for the money. Um, but but also, you know, that that it is important to be able to, to test things to, to sort of get that. That space or that time to experiment. Um, so, so we have actually built in the way that we are, are working in, in my team. Uh, we actually have uh, dedicated time to do experimenting uh, where you are not in a project. Uh, and, you know, it, it depends on, on the person, you know, if you take advantage of that time or not. Uh, but but so far, we we found it's sort of, um as, as a good way uh, for people to to get that space to, you know, try something that they discovered along the way in another project or, or something like that. So So I think that's that is a a, a good or, or a key aspect in in upskilling or or le- learning new things uh, is is by doing them and and giving the opportunity to do so.
2: I agree. I also think that uh, on the organization's side, um there's this responsibility of the the workplace 2.0 basically after the pandemic. Um, and I think there we know that there are a lot of companies that haven't maybe quite figured out how, how the the hybrid setup uh, should work for uh, to sort of stimulate everyone and, and make sure that everyone have their needs fulfilled. Um, But basically, I think that um, making sure that you have, um, let's say, that your your work space is prepared for collaboration and experimentation is extremely important as well. Because um, I think to some extent, uh, on-site is the new off-site. Uh, and and innovation happens just like you said, uh, Ola, uh, when collaboration happens. So sort of earning your employees commute time into the office and and enable the workspace to help this culture thrive is important. And and also make sure that you enable the different type of of hybrid workers as well, because some people uh, may not see that there's uh, enough motivation to come into the workplace. Um, They might do their best work at home, which is fine as well, but uh, it needs to be even more clear on why why we're at work uh, together and uh, make sure that we have the right tools to innovate as well. Like the setup needs to be great at the office Uh, because I think usually maybe that people have better setup at home nowadays, Um, so it might not motivate people to go to the office unless they're forced to, which not always is perfect. So yeah, Ola.
1: I I just wanted to comment on something you said there, uh, where you are the most productive, it could be at home. And, and I think, I mean, most consultancy companies, companies, at at least don't have uh, seating or desks for all their employees in every location at the same time so it's a, like a it's like a gamble a, li- a little bit that some people are at their customer's office uh, some are at the own office and and some are at home um and that's of course uh that's of course fine but yeah I kind of lost my point there I will uh, I will mute myself again and I will uh, report back when I find the point again
2: <laughs> Sounds good. No, but, but that's, no, that's, but that's true. Uh, I mean, and, and I think that's that, that's a, a big problem that you have at the workspace right now. That some people want the want to have their desk for themselves, um, which is totally fine because it's a it's just a question of uh, safety and uh, being comfortable at work. And also, I think a lot of energy for some people uh, goes to Thinking about and wondering where they're gonna be seated today when they go into the office, but at the same time they don't want to go into the office uh, every day. Um, and from the the employer's perspective, they don't want to see an empty seating.
1: I found the point again. Can I? Uh
2: go ahead
1: continue <laughs> Yeah, I, I i was commenting on 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 the the downsizing basically of the office space from i mean many consultant companies do that and have done for for many many years have that practice uh, and i think it's uh rational but what we've seen uh uh during the pandemic is that also many customers do that so they're downsizing their offices and uh which means that there might not even be a seating location at the customer's location for you as a consultant. So that means that, that your, your, uh, workspace with your team colleagues is not a physical place. So you need to be able to, to sit wherever you want. Uh, of course, ergonomically correct. But it could be at home, then you need to have a good setup. It could be at the office or it could be at the customer's office, but it shouldn't matter. And I think at least uh, the, the the customers I work with, they're getting there. Uh, I think the custom consultancy companies in general are a few steps ahead because they've been doing this for many years, but uh, even the customers are getting there, I think.
2: Yeah, and just to sort of wrap this back to the, Uh, loop this back to the question that uh, we had coming into this discussion. I think it's very important for the the organizations to show that they uh, invest in this sort of tools and seating and environment to enable this uh, upskilling and continuous learning culture uh, that I think you need today.
0: Brilliant. Great discussion, guys. Um, Go on to our next question. So, um, Daniel, I've got your question. Um, How do you effectively balance the need for code-based consistency and individual team autonomy when adopting a shared repository approach such as forking and pull requests for cross-team collaboration? Tell me where this question comes from and your thoughts Mm -hmm. behind it.
3: Yeah. Okay, so... uh from deep inside my brain it's where it's originating no I'm just kidding um <clears throat> so i mean i i think it sort of ties back to what ola talked about earlier uh, where you have this uh sort of you, you want to mitigate the risk of uh, having some key players in a team like knowing everything and then all of a sudden they switch to a new job or get sick or, or whatever and then you're stranded uh, in some sort of situation where there's a you know, a million lines code base and no one really knows how things work. They just work and you can't touch them in production. So uh, one way to sort of uh, uh, potentially at least uh, uh, work around that in a bigger organization where you have a lot of teams uh, such as my own situation where we have uh, sister teams around me with a similar code base, uh, similar tools when it comes to CI/CD or testing, ways of working. I mean, uh, everything is... Very similar in many ways for a lot of teams in the same organization. Uh, of course, not everywhere, but I would uh, say that it's not very uncommon that you have a quite similar code base. Uh, I don't think you see like teams sitting next to each other. Some do Python, some do dot net. You know, like I think it's fairly consistent at least. And then um, <clears throat> sometimes a lot of teams, uh, are very very busy and while other teams aren't as busy then uh, uh, we have this idea of uh, to try out uh, sort of offloading work to other teams uh, where you fork someone's repo and you could actually just grab a ticket from their uh, jira or tool that they use and sort of just develop it and create a pull request and then you have a code review together with the Some of the developers in the other team and you sort of uh, you share workload but you also sort of share knowledge as well around what this most likely quite similar products um so i mean the question is probably pretty difficult to answer because i've noticed uh, i brought it up to uh, along other tech leads in around me uh in my organization and it's a pretty difficult thing to do, I think, but it would be pretty cool to see if it works. Uh, <laughs> so I, was, uh, I just uh, wanted to bring this question and see if anyone you know has thought about it or maybe have done something similar uh, or have experience from it.
0: Jasper, what are your thoughts on this then?
4: my thoughts you know cur- currently not managing sort of a, a development team uh, or, or you know we we are the only it team in our organization so, so so i can't really say that i have so much to to bring here actually but but you know of of course i i, I see the problem um but i can't say that i have have a, a good Good point, or a good uh, good thing to bring here, uh, actually.
0: Ola, what what are your thoughts then?
1: Well, I think I think, uh, like Daniel said uh, uh, in the intro to the question, there that it, it kind of relates to my topic as well. So it's about workload sharing and, and, and expanding the capacity for sharing outside of the immediate team. So, and I think that's really, really interesting. It, it's, it's, it's difficult for me as a supplier to, to, to put it to practice in our setting, but I can definitely see it within a larger organization. Uh, as you say, Daniel, uh, you have a common code base. Everybody knows the same architecture. You have uh, the same boundaries, basically, that you need to withhold. So, and and I, I guess the more you do, it will be difficult in the first, first times you do it. But then as you start to build knowledge and relations and trust between teams, then it becomes easier and easier. So, it's, I mean, it's something that I guess... It's rational to pursue to do it, even though it will be a lot of sand in the machinery and in the, in the beginning.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> to to throw in some Swedish
3: <laughs> terms here. Do you want to Well,
2: since I'm not like maybe it's been years since since I was a hands-on developer myself but I actually had uh, a discussion regarding this question with my with my husband who is a developer um, and he was really like consistent with uh, or insisting that consistency is key um, because what whenever you sort of diverse from the the guidelines and the plan that you have for your code base um, Everything will just be, you know, like there will be cowboy coding all over the place um, and just be very um, consistent with, like, if you're ever going to make some big changes or bring in something that is, let's say you as a developer um, joining in on a new project and you sort of realize, oh, there's a much better way to do this. Basically, make sure that you, maybe re-rewrite bigger parts of the code base to make sure they're sustainable long term. Um but also I'm thinking that a good way to uh adopt the, the cross-team collaboration would be to just make sure that you have um cross-team reviews. Um so something that maybe the the someone who has coded something and pushed it, um maybe someone else from a completely different team make sure to review because they should be able to review uh if the, the the guidelines have been uh followed something
3: yeah i mean it, it's a really good point uh and i think that maybe that could be like a soft way to start i mean uh, not necessarily actually building something for another team but sort of to maybe let me do the pull request or the review sorry um code review of someone else's pull request for instance in a different team like uh that could be a really good start actually yeah
0: Brilliant. And last but not least, Jasper, I've got your question. Um, How can agile methodologies and principles be applied beyond software development to foster adaptive... I'm going to start this question again and edit this bit out, guys. Sorry. End of the day. Um, (laughs) So, Jesper, I have your question. How can agile methodologies and principles be applied beyond software development to foster adaptability in various teams and departments within an organisation? Tell me where your question comes from.
4: Yeah, yeah, that question comes from, you know, being... Sort of in an IT department in in an organization that that isn't an IT organization uh, as I am, um, you 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 know for, for us within sort of IT and especially development these these agile methods are basically a given. Um, but looking at you know other departments doing other things. Uh, you know, I I start asking the question, you know, to myself a little bit, you know, how you know could you implement sort of what we on, on sort of IT or especially development does, but in sort of an, another context? Um and, and we actually tried that. This is not going you know so far from IT, but but you know, I, I have a little bit of a background in development, but Currently managing um, and actually also co-managing the the Finnish IT um, IT operations team um, and and maybe you know IT operations as support and, and you know smaller projects uh, you know some organizations you know probably use you know agile methods there but we didn't we we were sort of stuck in a you know infinite long to-do list uh with you know projects piling up and and no one really took ownership of them um so so we we started to to implement some more agile methods maybe not the sort of tra- traditional you know scrum type thing but but we we chose a i don't know how well known it is but a framework called shape up uh, if you've heard about that um and And of course, we had to tailor it a bit for for our needs, uh, but but it's basically uh, working in sort of fixed project lengths. Uh, we are working in sort of six weeks, you know project or six week cycles. Um, and then you know, each cycle can of course include you know multiple projects. But that sort of forced us to to make projects that they can never be longer than six weeks, uh, which you know made us you know I wouldn't say that maybe we are getting more done now, but we are getting the the feeling of of completing something, uh, which I think is is really important. Uh, so so we we could see you know a pretty significant improvement uh, right away. And especially, we we gained visibility, a transparency, as we talked about before, to to be able to see uh, what everyone is doing in a better way. Uh, also, the, this method is built up on on working in smaller teams, uh, you know, two to three people teams uh, for each of these projects, and uh, in each project, they have sort of the the mandate to to take make the decisions to to make that uh project you know work or, or land it uh which also meant that that me and, and my sort of manager colleague we, we could also take a step back uh, and sort of make, give the the team and and our sort of uh team members uh some more you know responsibilities and and, and a way of working more individually uh, so, so I'm also, so of course, interested in, in if, if any one of you have have done you know something similar, uh, implementing uh, you know agile methods uh, in in ways where they might not traditionally be. Ola or Johanna, maybe was first.
2: Ola, Ola, go ahead.
4: Oh thank you. I think I
1: think I was after you, but uh okay, sure. Um yeah, we have um tried, I would say, uh, semi successfully, but uh we are using agile methods, uh, I mean the the sprint concept, the backlog, the the uh autonomy of, of a team and so on in um, when it comes to organizational change and um it's quite difficult because it's more changing the organization in a consultant business uh i mean in any business i guess but it's it's uh it's more dangerous <laughs> i mean build, building a, a solution uh uh in, in an agile way i mean it's um the consequences of the uh, the, the basically the, the the dog food quality and the early sprints is uh, not that uh, dangerous. But starting to change in organization uh, in an agile way when all your thoughts and the, the basically the design and principles behind the design, the clarity in what you want to achieve and so on, if that isn't matured enough when you start actually doing the change um, it creates a lot of anxiety and and uh, lack of direction i think in the organization so it's challenging i think but it's also i mean uh, i mean it's it's possible Uh, but i i think it also depends on the size of the organization that you want to change in a smaller setting it's more it's easier easier of course that's my input
3: Yeah, Joanna.
2: Uh, Daniel can go first.
3: All right, thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to comment on what Ola said. I was just curious. Uh, this organisational change uh, was that in a company where you worked yourself, like as in your consultancy firm, or was it for a client? Uh,
1: yeah, it's it's uh, here at home, so to speak. Okay. Uh, yeah. Within Axigo, oh, yeah we uh we have uh spent i guess you know a, a year and a half at least uh trying to plan and and to bottom down in the in the um uh, in the design process but uh it's still very challenging when it comes to to the actual implementation so but we're uh, at least halfway through it and uh nobody has died so far from it so uh, i think it's uh, going
3: well
4: <laughs> sounds good so johanna what's what's your thoughts
2: yeah i um uh, i had a couple of thoughts but i just wanted to um i think i think the anecdote that i'm gonna go with is uh uh, a bit far off, that's why I wanted to <laughs> go last. Um, but yeah, just commenting on what you just said, but I think um, uh, I think it's easy to practically uh, change your ways of working according to to agile, but uh, it's it's a definitely like a mindset as well that needs to be changed. I on top of mind what I hear from you, Jesper, I feel like uh, the the ways of working that you have now, could probably probably apply pretty well to uh, different um, departments in the organization. I'm thinking just on top of mind like marketing, uh, because just like Ola said, I think it's it's sometimes it can be quite like on borderline dangerous to to open up too early to the rest of the organization uh, regarding what you're doing. Uh, not only like for the team that like you said, like it can create some anxiety maybe. Uh, but also, once you open that door, there's always the risk uh, that there will be lots of questions, which might jeopardize things, and you want to keep everything on course. Um, so I don't think I have quite an answer, but I, I see what your what the, what the question is trying to raise, and I think it's it's uh, it's definitely something that needs to be addressed uh, early when. For example, an organization are are buying an agile transformation or so. Um, from my own perspective, uh, I actually I'm trying to apply agile methods to my sports team. Um, my my sports team is it's quite young, um, but I'm trying to apply retrospectives. Uh, I want to invite the players to quote unquote sprint planning and have them. Um, affect what we should be practicing during the drills uh, and uh, also, you know, trying to work on the psychological safety and uh, show them that their voice matters too, even though they might have a coach who is the maybe ultimate decider on a lot of things. the, the, what they want and what what drives them is important, and they are here to affect the team as well. So it's going to be really exciting to see at the end of like April if if this way of working has has changed anything. But I think it's an example of that you can use these methods basically anywhere. Um, although the the sports team analogy probably it's pretty similar to a development team uh, in a lot of sense.
4: Yeah, yeah, but that that that's a great example of of how to try to implement it somewhere where it's usually not implemented. Um and you know, I'm not saying that this is easy in any way. Um but but what I can sort of feel at least from our organization is, you know, whenever I show the way we are working, uh I'm I'm sort of met with at least a curiosity and and, and sort of hmm that that that's that's different and yeah, that, that's a good way. Um uh, then, you know, taking the step to actually implement it, that's another thing. But um, it's, you know, maybe you don't have to implement it all the way either. Maybe you can sort of pick pick the reasons from, from the cookie, so to speak, uh, with, with, you know, maybe sometimes get a bit more structured ways of, of working. So, Ola.
1: I really liked what you said there. Uh, Just in the end, you can pick the raisins. I think there's uh, an infinite amount of hybrids out there, you know, where you can combine the traditional waterfall model with uh, phases and decision points and so on with uh, agile frameworks within each phase or within each, and even differently within each work streams within the project and so on. So, and I think yeah, to all the project managers out there, you know, it's uh, probably a good uh, good thing to be uh, uh, really proficient in both worlds, uh, because then you can mix and match uh, on the on the fly, basically.
4: Yeah, um, and it's also, you know, as I said, with my team, uh, we we also had to adapt that framework you know, for what we are doing, you know, shape up as a framework is, is a framework built for, you know, basically product companies, uh, you know, each cycle is features and, and stuff like that. And, you know, when, when we first started to look at it, you know, this, this can't work, you know, we are not a product company, we are trying to manage an infrastructure here. Uh, but, but then we sort of widen our review, but, but, but okay, let's say that our infrastructure, our whole IT environment is our product. Uh, then you know every little thing we are doing are features in in our product, uh, and I think you know if you try to apply that way of thinking, you you can you can do that in in many ways. You know, as Johanna said, uh, marketing, sales, maybe um, you know there, there are, but you know it's I, I don't think it's that easy to just implement the the idea framework, you know, as is. That you you really need to to adapt it for for the situation. As always, basically.
0: Great ideas. Um, Really appreciate, obviously, everyone's discussion on that. Um, Very thorough. um, But hopefully some of our listeners can take some of the ideas as well and implement them in their own businesses and, and, and lives, um, just as Joanna has in our sports team. Uh, So amazing. Um, Before we end the podcast, I'd really like to say thank you so much to all of our guests for sharing their thoughts. Um, So just to go over, they have been um, Ola Bren, who's the partner and head of digital app and innovation at Asiga. We have Joanna Jova, who's the scrum master at the Stella Collective. We have Daniel Karlstrom-Aravina, who's the tech lead at C S E B. And then we have Jesper Martinson, who's the IT manager at Rack Systems. If you are hiring for new technical roles or are looking for a new role feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast you can drop me a message too. I'm Georgia Benton and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at georgia.benton at evolution-nordics.com or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash uk forward slash nordics. Thanks again so much to all of our guests and thank you for listening. We hope you can join us next time.